this episode is going to be extremely personal. It is not something that I generally talk about often, especially publicly, but I feel like it is an extremely important topic. It is not just exclusively with domestic violence, but also with sex trafficking as well. And my experience with this is on both sides. The first thing I want to talk about is my experience with CPS. I know I have talked briefly about it before in previous episodes, but I did want to go a little more in depth about it. There is a lot of talk about this topic and some of which are conspiracy theories, but there is also a lot of truth that is being talked about. I cannot speak for every single person's experience, obviously. I can only speak for mine. As I have mentioned before, my father and mother would use CPS as a weapon. It is something that they would still be doing today if they had access to my location. If you wronged them in any way, shape, or form, they would try whatever they could to have your children taken from you. Like I have said before, they were successful in getting my cousin's daughter taken and placed with my aunt. She knew the person that they were, and she still got them approved to be able to be left alone with my cousin's daughter. So that should tell you the type of person that my aunt is. There were so many times where they attempted to have my children taken from me this way as well. One time, I don't really remember a lot of the details surrounding this, but my daughters were at their house. I had asked them to watch them for a short period of time, and they refused to give them back to me. I ended up having to show up with a police officer just to get my daughters out of their house. The officer told my father, who had answered the door, that he did not have custody, so he could not keep my children from me. And if he did not hand them over, that he would be charged with kidnapping. I went into the house and grabbed my daughter's things and grabbed them as well and put them into my car to go back home. My oldest had forgotten something. It was like her favorite toy or shoes or something. I can't really remember. But I needed to go back into the house. And when I did, he was on the phone with CPS reporting me. I don't know for what. Because as soon as I caught him, he hung up the phone. I took my children home that day to my apartment and he never did finish that call into CPS. 
And I believe because I showed him that day that I was not afraid to get the police involved when it was necessary is why they stopped paying the rent on my apartment and forced me to move back home. This way, they could have that control and power that they were craving. I did have CPS called on me, and a report was made when my oldest daughter was about five weeks old. She was extremely sick with a viral infection and had to be hospitalized because of it. I was told that she had meningitis, pneumonia, and whooping cough in the emergency room. But 16 hours later, when we finally got upstairs into our isolation room, I was told that it was just a cold and we could take her home. Being a new mom, I was so overprotective. And I myself, at the time, had whooping cough. So I was also extremely sick. I was just so confused and I was not wanting to leave the hospital because I was just so terrified. I didn't understand how I went from having three major diagnoses to just a cold. When they finally did discharge us almost a week later, I was told that I could not leave the hospital with her until I spoke with CPS. I had no idea what was going on, but my mother got on the phone and told them that they would not leave me alone with her and that they could come to our home and meet us there instead. So that way she could get discharged and I could go home with her. The complaint was made to sound like it was a nurse that had called But to be honest, I do not know if it was a nurse or not. Some of the concerns that were in the report, the nurse had actually taught me to do them. It was things that involved her bottle and pacifier. Just, I guess the best way to say is like mother to mother tips. Like, hey, this is what I do kind of thing. So it was just a lot of chaos for me because I really did not believe that it was one of the nurses that called, but I also had no idea who else would call. At the time, there was no reason for me to suspect my parents because I still did not know entirely everything that they were capable of, but looking back it more likely than not was, in fact, my parents who called. Most of everything was surrounded by me being a young mother as I was only 19 and about my mental health. I did everything that I could and that they asked me to do, and I did eventually get custody of my daughter back. When it was granted to my parents, I still lived with them, so there wasn't much of a change, except I was not allowed to be left at home alone with her. But I had a sick kid. I was sick myself, so I wasn't exactly going out as much 
anyways, but it did give them that little bit of a taste of the power that they could have with CPS. And I remember being so frustrated because every single time I asked the worker a question, she always said that she had to talk to her supervisor to give me an answer. I mean, even if it was something as simple as in the four hours that I have with her where I don't have to be supervised, can I leave the house? I mean, it seems like an answer that a CPS worker could answer, but she was constantly going back to her supervisor for answers to every single question. One time I even was just so frustrated. I said to her, why don't you just bring your supervisor with you so I don't have to wait so long? After that encounter, it was years before I even had to deal with them again. But I also was always living with my parents. So again, they had that power that they wanted. It was more of a problem and more consistent after I had escaped. And it seemed like they were trying to use CPS to get my daughters back. I had a restraining order. So they lost every bit of power that they had to have contact with them. It would now be a violation of a restraining order to just even attempt to contact them. From the time that I escaped in September until March of the following year when they went to live with their father, there were 33 abuse reports that were called in on me, all of which were unfounded, all of which were false, all of which were just such extravagant lies. I do not even know how they took them seriously. But the ring is just so heavily embedded inside of CPS. And sometimes I would get a good caseworker that was absolutely amazing. But other times I got some that did nothing at all. And if it was me that made the report, it was always taken by somebody inside of the ring and there was nothing ever done. That stayed consistent over the past 12 years. Even when I gave birth to my son, they called CPS. I mean, I literally had just gotten out of surgery and had CPS knocking on my hospital door. It literally is just this constant thing that is always hanging there. I'm always waiting for the next call. At one point when I was still living in the same state as them, when the CPS worker would knock on my door, I would say, I've been expecting you. And they were just blown away when I said, you're from CPS, are you not? Like, that is how constant it was. Private phone calls coming into my phone, I knew was a CPS report. I have never done anything bad to my children. And there was never, not once, out of any of the reports that was filed, 
an open case being initiated. It was only just an investigation into allegations that turned out to be unfounded or false. My children were never taken from me, despite the fact that many people were told that. When I got admitted into the hospital and I was sending my daughters to live with their father, he told people that CPS took them from me. He even gave falsified documents to their school that I had no rights to my daughter at all and to not release any information to me. They no longer go to that school, but I still, even after getting it corrected in court, they never gave me the information that was ordered to be given to me. CPS did come meet me while I was in the hospital, and we did a conference call with my ex-husband and just explained our situation that I was going to be inpatient for some time and that he would take care of them until I was discharged. That was the agreement that he and I made with CPS, which they were absolutely okay with. They even told me that when I was discharged, I could contact them and they would assist me with the transition of getting my daughters back to where I was. Obviously, that was not honored. When I finally got in contact with him and filed for custody, I found out exactly how much he lied about all of that. Like I had explained about what happened at the school. It was at their doctors everywhere. In everyone's minds where he was, I had no legal rights to my daughters, which to this day still is not true. And that kind of brings into the second thing that I wanted to talk about in this episode. And that is the family court system and my custody battle. When I had custody of my daughters, there was no formal custody agreement in the courts, but I still made sure that my ex-husband got three calls from his daughters every single day. They would call when they woke up, when they got home from school, and then before they went to bed. Not once did he have to call them because we were always calling him. If he wanted to visit, he would stay at my house sometimes for a couple of weeks or he would take them to a hotel and sometimes he would bring them back to the state that he was in. I sent him pictures, probably way too many. I sent copies of their report cards. I just, I treated him like he was their parent. And it was naive of me to think that he would do the same for me. For three years, he never allowed me to talk to them. I did not know where they lived. I did not know what school they went to. I did not know anything. There was always an excuse. And if I did get to talk to them, it was for about a minute. He never sent me pictures. 
And if somebody else took them from his social media and sent them to me, and I posted them to my Facebook, he would constantly text me and yell at me for posting them on social media. He just used everything that he could to emotionally abuse me. I even found out later that my daughters were completely unaware of all of this. In fact, the first time that I saw them again and we were having our visit, I asked my youngest if she still talked to my brother, who at the time I was close with. She said she didn't need to anymore because she had finally found mommy. She was being told that they had no idea where I was, despite the fact that I was calling every single day for three years. So after I got married and we got our house and my life just kind of settled down, I filed for custody in court. And I did not want sole custody. I wanted shared custody. At first, I wanted them just every other holiday and maybe one month in the summer. But seeing some things, I did eventually want to seek to be the custodial parent. But it wasn't what I was fighting for. I figured that it was best to start off small and then work my way up from that. But the biggest thing was... When I went to court, I wanted guaranteed phone calls and guaranteed Skype dates. I wanted very specific days and times that they would take place. I was so tired of the ups and downs and the chaos that I just wanted a concrete schedule. I also wanted visitations, obviously, if I ever did go back to where they lived to visit. When I spoke with my attorney, he was very confident that I would win custodial custody of them. He even instructed me to get their bedroom ready with beds, dressers, clothes, paint the walls, just have everything ready and make sure that I had pictures of my home to bring with me to court. I spent thousands of dollars getting their room ready. So we went to court. I was so terrified that I did not even let people know that I was back in town until the day of my court date. I know he assumed I was there, but I did not want him to know I was or even where I was staying. Being back home where everything had happened in my childhood was so difficult and so triggering for me. But I pushed as hard as I could through all of that because my children were more important. We went to court and went in to mediation. My attorney had promised a lot of things that he did not follow through with. My ex-husband's attorney suggested to the mediator that I have supervised visitations with my daughters as I had not seen them in three years. 
I disagreed. I expressed to the mediator that I did not think it made sense that I, who had no history of abuse for them or anyone else, had to be supervised with my own children, all because he kept them away from me, but yet he could call a complete stranger on Craigslist to have them babysit, no problem, and his criminal history was way extensive than mine. But my attorney kept on advising me that I needed to sign the paperwork. I continued to refuse, and I wanted to go in front of a judge, but my attorney said, basically, if I did not agree to the supervised visitation, then I would lose in front of the judge, and I would never be able to see my daughters. It was only hours before in his office that he was telling me that we had a good, strong case, and he was very confident that I would be leaving that day with my daughters. Where the disconnect happened and how things turned so sour so quickly, I will never understand because it just does not make sense. And I can't make it make sense. I was asked for a copy of my criminal record, which I provided. They asked for my ex-husband's, which he lied about and kept a lot of his hidden. I had copies of my own and his, which I presented both of them. And when I put his down on the table, his lawyer accused me of falsifying them and said that he wanted to check the authenticity of them. I said to him, you are more than welcome to go across the street and get copies yourself, which is how I obtained them and showed that there was a seal from the courthouse on them. Eventually, I was forced into signing that paperwork for the supervised visitation, which was just completely unfair and unnecessary. I just felt so trapped in that room that I just did what my lawyer advised me to do. He was not willing to go in front of a judge with me that day. Over the next several months, it was used as a way to continue to keep my children away from me because he could never find anyone to supervise them for me because everyone was just so terrified of me, allegedly. At least that's the excuse that he gave when I filed contempt paperwork. When we were in mediation, I remember sitting across the table from him and I just said to him, I was like, Bill, come on, let's just get along and work something out. It does not have to be this way. And I told him, when I had them, I always made sure that you had constant contact with them and was always in their life. Why can't you just give me the same? And that's all I'm asking for. He did not want to do it. He wanted that power and control and knew that he had the ball in his court and that I was going to have to fight to get the ball back. When I continued to tell my attorney that I did not want these supervised visitations, he said in a very threatening way that if I did not sign the papers, we would have to go across the street in front of a judge and the judge would probably order 
that I was not allowed to even have visitation. Like at one point, he was even sitting there and talking with my ex-husband and taking his side. Oh, I made sure he was fired after that mediation. Honestly, I nearly sued him for malpractice. That is how horrible of an attorney he is. I kept going with this agreement for a few months. I just figured if I showed that I was holding up my end of the deal, that when I tried to amend it, it would look better. They ordered us to do this class thing. I don't really know what it was, but it was eight weeks long and they would meet with my ex-husband, with me, with me and my kids, with my ex-husband and my kids, with me and my current husband and him and his current wife. And it was just this very extensive thing. Except I lived eight hours away and my husband was in the military. So it was impossible for me to complete that program. And I kept telling them that. I expressed to a new attorney that even the condensed one, I was not able to do because it was just entirely too expensive. I could not afford it. The program was over $1,000 and then they would condense it into eight days for us. But then we would have to get the military to agree to give my husband leave for those eight days. We would have our travel costs, a hotel room for eight days, food, everything else. When I finally ended up adding everything and what all the total costs was, it was close to $10,000 for everything. And that included the costs of the class and the extra money that I would have to pay to have it condensed so we could get it done in the eight days instead of eight weeks. They made it absolutely impossible for me to do what needed to be done so that way I could have my case heard. And again, with this new attorney, she said that she was going to file an emergency custody hearing and was confident that we would win, despite the fact that I was not able to complete that class. She was also going to file contempt charges against him because over the past six months, every single time that I went to visit, he only allowed me to be with them for about three hours. We also filed a petition for me to be the custodial parent for a multitude of reasons. I had been getting calls from mutual friends that were concerned and felt that it was in my daughter's best interest for them to live with me, all of which were going to testify. But I never got that day in court because I could not complete that program that they wanted me to. So again, I had another attorney that did not follow through. When we had our hearing, my parents flew up there and they stayed with my grandmother because all three of them were going to testify on his behalf. Obviously, he was allowing visitation with my parents despite the restraining order. 
And if they were able to get my legal rights terminated, then the restraining order would be null and void when it came to my daughters. So again, it was my children being used as a weapon to abuse and hurt me. They would not be hurt, but I would. We entered into the courtroom and the judge did not even look at the petition to amend the custody agreement and just said that the motion to amend was denied. Just flat out denied it. Did not even read it. It was done. In 20 seconds, I lost my custody case with absolutely no explanation as to why. To this day, I still do not know why my case was dismissed. So then we started to handle the contempt case where we were saying that he was in violation of our current custody agreement. I had explained that if there was a holiday during one of our agreed upon Skype days that he would miss it without even contacting me, which was not in the custody order that he was allowed to do, that sometimes he would just reschedule them without even giving me the option to say yes or no. And this was important to me because this was the exact reason why I had set dates so he could not play his games and say, well, they're a little bit late or we can't make it today or things like that. And then we also addressed the fact that I was only allowed to see them for three hours when I was there for four days. His lawyer called me to the stand And I think he was trying to trip me up a little bit and make me look like I was unstable because he asked if I was prescribed any medication and I said per my medical privacy rights that I was not going to answer that question, which is what my attorney had advised me to say. When it came to anything about that, she told me to say that I was not answering because of medical privacy rights. He then asked me if it was true if I had falsely accused my ex-husband of abuse, and I answered that it was not. He followed up and said, so are you denying that you called the police and filed abuse charges against my client? Which I then responded, no, I am not denying that. He returned with, you just said that you did not falsely accuse him. And now you're saying that you did call the police. And we just went back and forth with this a few times when it came to the allegations against my ex-husband and also allegations that I had made against my father. So I finally said, listen, you can play these games, but it's not working. I did not falsely accuse them. I did, however, make an accusation. They were convicted and served a sentence for that conviction. I also was granted restraining orders. So no, I did not falsely accuse them. It was founded in a court of law that they were guilty. He did not like that type of assertion. 
I do not think the judge did either. Every single way that they tried to paint me as mentally unstable, I was able to hold myself together. My attorney asked me if I wanted to share about my medications, and I said that I did not really feel comfortable answering, but I would for the record and said that I was on an anti-anxiety medication because of PTSD from abuse that I had suffered during my childhood and my marriage. I had also explained that on top of the PTSD, I was also diagnosed with OCD, but it was very well managed. That my therapist had written a letter to support that I was compliant with therapy. I was also compliant with my medication and that I was actually thriving. She basically just asked all questions surrounding how stable my life had become. Then it was her turn to question my ex-husband. And I'll never understand how he was able to blatantly lie under oath and nothing was done. We asked the judge to pursue perjury charges because it was obvious lies and he was under oath. I mean, it just, it's not allowed. But of course, as with everything else, nothing happened. So she presented him with his criminal record. She went through each and every charge one by one and asked if it was his name and who the listed victim was, which she even made him point at me in the courtroom and say that I was the victim. She asked about the restraining order with my father and if he was still allowing contact, which he admitted to. I mean, she completely kicked ass. When he was asked about one of the charges, he insisted I falsely accused him And she said to him, did you or did you not plead guilty? And he answered yes. Each and every time, she got him to admit that he knew about the restraining order and was ignoring it, which again, the judge said was not in his jurisdiction to hold him in contempt for because it was an out-of-state one, which is not true. No matter where you're issued a restraining order, they are good nationwide. She kept going at him and proving that everything he said while his attorney had questioned him was a lie and that he was knowingly and willingly lying about it. His attorney dropped him as a client after this court date. I think he finally realized that he himself was also being lied to. After going through hours of him testifying and me testifying, the judge said he was going to take some time to render his decision. No one else was called to testify because this was just the contempt case. Why everything else got brought into it, I do not know. When we were called back into the courtroom, The judge said to my ex-husband that he was graylining the custody order and that if he did not give me more time with my daughters, then he would put him in contempt of court. So my ex-husband agreed to lift the supervised visitation and even said to the judge that he was going to lift it to solve the problem that nobody wanted to supervise and be around me. 
After everything was over, I looked up at the judge again, and he gave me this familiar look that sent chills down my spine. I started shaking and started having a panic attack. My attorney just sat me down and said, breathe, and just let him walk out first. I think she assumed that it was my ex-husband that was triggering the panic attack, and I just let her believe that. And as I sat there and I closed my eyes so I could focus on my breathing, I flashed back and realized the judge was a former client. I mean, I wasn't 100% certain, but my body was telling me he was. And that's when I realized I was fighting the system that I was trafficked to as a child. So how was I ever going to be able to win? After that hearing, I eventually gave up trying to fight because I knew it was, I just, I was never going to win. My attorney had advised me to move closer to them and to try to get a house in the same town as them so we could attempt to get them back and fight. But I couldn't go back to that city again and I didn't want to. We did move back to the area, but not very close. I was at least a half an hour away and it was a few years later after my husband had finished his contract with the military. What happened in the months that I lived there is a story for another day. It does involve CPS and a lot of other things that I did talk a little bit about in this episode, but I don't want to make this episode 10 hours long, which I very easily could. CPS, from what I know of the agency, is not part of sex trafficking, but people from the sex trafficking rings are inside the agency. The traffickers are supervisors and victims are forced to get jobs as the caseworkers. I had called CPS when I was a child. I don't remember anything about it and I was told to get access to those records would violate my parents' privacy. So even though I was the victim, I'm not allowed to have access to them. But that woman that was my caseworker back then was actually the supervisor of my caseworker when they were called when my daughter was in the hospital. The supervisor that she had to keep consulting with. Over 10 years later, and I was still dealing with the exact same people. And when I moved back there, I still dealt with them. It was always the same exact caseworkers. And as for family court, having a judge that was a former client holding on to my case, I was never going to win. 
And this is what a lot of victims of sex trafficking and domestic violence have to deal with. I'm sure not everybody deals with the same problems that I did, but I have heard from other survivors how similar it is for them. CPS would take custody away from the sex trafficking victim and give their children to their sex traffickers. They also will take custody away from a domestic violence victim and give them to their abuser. And family court is no different. Sometimes they just make it impossible for victims to be able to get their children back. And that myth that the court always sides with the mother is not true. I am so thankful that I never lost my children because of CPS. Because that is one game that my father and my mother never got to win. They could never get me to crack enough that I lost my children. Out of over 50 abuse calls over the past 12 years, I have never lost my children and I have always gotten CPS to go away after just one meeting with them. A lot of the caseworkers could not understand why I was the one that was being reported and not other people. I feel like I'm ending this episode more abruptly than my other ones because there's just so much more that I want to say, but I do not want to do it in this episode. I am going to make another episode. So I feel kind of cliche in saying this, but to be continued. As always, I want to thank everyone for listening because these episodes have been very difficult to make. These are things that even on my TikTok, I never talked about. I wanted to protect my children. I truly believe that I still am. But I just felt like this is another thing that is very common when it comes to domestic violence and sex trafficking. And just one of those things that if we do not talk about it, how are people supposed to know that it happens? And then how are we supposed to fix it? So that is why I'm choosing now to come forward and to talk about it. I am hoping to get to the next episode and have it posted in the next couple of days so I can finish talking about what happened with everything that involved custody after court was over. So again, thank you so much for the continued love and support. Over the past few days, I have been watching my Facebook and Instagram accounts grow, and I am just so excited that people are paying attention and wanting to learn more. I believe that right now we have all the power in us to put an end to these problems. We just need to know where to start. So thank you for listening and supporting me. And to all of those that are as passionate as I am to put an end to these kinds of problems, that victims and survivors 
have to deal with on a daily basis. So much love to all. And again, to be continued.